morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in honor of the birth of baby boy Lowe, born to Elian and Danny Lowe, grandson of Lisa and Nathan Lowe, uh, a constant attendee and listener of the Shi'ur, and Bina and Steve Dava, uh, pillars of our community, a person you always uh, find laughing somewhere in the Beth Knesset in a booming voice, bringing joy to lots and lots of people. So uh, their name might be low, but he's married to someone who definitely brings us high. So Yishtabach Shemo, between the Dabachs and the Lows, what a special simcha, the simcha of bringing a grandson into this world. Mazal tov to both of these amazing and incredible families. As well, my friends, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated to Rufu'ash Shemah of Chana Bat Fega and Eliyahu Shimon Ben Mazal Fortuna, uh, dedicated loving memory of Ms. Lili Safali and Nishmat Leah Bat Chana, whose philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world. And as well, the week of Koba, which is sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. But also, last but not least, Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated today to Isaac E. Ash and David E. Ash in honor of all the good that they do by their parents, Janelle and Eddie Ash. Uh, that is very, very beautiful. Eddie E. Ash. Eddie is the E, and you put the E in Ash, Baruch Hashem. And um, I must say, you know, these are two brothers in the Beit Knesset that are always here to be able to help out in so many different ways, with so many different things between, the, uh, you know, the, the children's program and between bringing t- tefillin and bringing t- taletot and the chumashim and the, and the booklets and the, you know, the tashlich booklets and the taletot. It's unbelievable uh, if ever there's anything, you know, they are always first and foremost in the line to be able to do good before, on behalf of the community. And you can be very proud of that, Eddie and Janelle, at the, uh, in the children that you've built and the impact that they are having in our community and indeed in the wider world. Let us begin. My friends, I met just this past week, we had an incredible event. The event was the Celebrate Israel Parade on Sunday. I don't know, 40, 45, 50,000, not sure exactly the numbers, I didn't count. But that many people marched down Fifth Avenue. So for three, three years already, or four years already, we've been running this program, this uh, uh, program alongside the parade to allow people to have kosher food, to allow people to relax, to draw, to draw letters, to write letters to the soldiers, to draw signs for the hold up by the parade. So we've done that in the Beit Knesset. And this year, we in partnership with the JCRC, we did this block party. And at the block party, it was beautiful street fair to meet everyone in the community. But there was one young man that I met that was very, very special. And his name was Aro, Ari. And I'm probably getting his last name wrong. I think it was Solot or something like that. So Solot or something. I can't remember his last name. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure um, they'll correct me on the last name. It was hard to remember after meeting thousands of people that day. But I believe his first name was Ari. Ari was a young man. I don't know exactly how old, maybe 13, uh, maybe 12, maybe 14 years old. But his mother introduced him and said, can he get a picture with us? Uh, He listens every single day to the class. He never misses a class. Unbelievable. And he was excited to meet. He's excited to meet me because he never misses a class. I was thinking, you know, it's so special that you have some kids that they never miss a game. Some kids never miss a TV show. Some kids, you know, never miss going to play by their friend's house. They take every opportunity. To have a young person that never misses a chance to study Torah, where does that come from? Now, of course, there's a huge amount of education that goes, that goes into that. No question. Huge amount of education by the parents in teaching the children that this is important. But you know what? Some kids, they're just built differently. They're kinder. You have some kids that never want to share anything. That first word out of their mouth, you know, every day and all day is mine, you know? There's some kids, that's how they're built. 
Some kids, you know, from the time they're little kids, they like to share. That's the difference that's built into the soul of the child. There's different personalities, different types in this world. And some kids are just born with a proclivity to, being, to, to studying Torah. So this boy, Ari, you can see already he's going to be a big Tamil Chacham, Be'ezat Hashem. going to be a big Sadiq when he grows up. But my friends, interestingly enough, I want to share that I think that we're reading about something a little bit different in this week's parasha. And I want to share what I think is a common theme, a thread running through our parasha. The pasuk tells us, Vayomer Alehem Moshe. Moshe said to them, who are we talking about? You had the people come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they told him, look, we can't bring the Korban Pesach. We're, uh, we're impure. Um, we're, you know, we, we became Tameh. Lama Nigara, we also want a part in the mitzvah. Vayomer Alehem Moshe. Moshe says to them, to them, Imdu, stand, and I will hear what God is going to command you. Moshe says, hold the line, I'm going to go find out what Hashem says. Now, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says a famous line. The line goes, Does anyone know what that means? It's in Masechet Megillah. So if you're in the, Meg- Meg- in the Gemara Megillah class, you might already know the answer to this. Mansapach Tsofim Amerum. Mansapach is five letters. Mem, Nun, Tzadi, Pei, Chaf. Those are the only five letters in the Hebrew alphabet that appear in the end of a word in a different form than they appear when they're in the middle, the middle of a word. So if you have a regular Mem, the Mem goes like that, right? If you have the Mem Tsofit, it looks like a little bit like a box, right? Noon, regular noon, looks like a telephone. Well, at least all the young people are like, no, it doesn't. All the old people are like, yeah, we miss those. Okay? So a noon looks like a telephone. A noon sofit looks like a telephone that you broke the bottom of and it's hanging down. Okay? Ma'am, noon, sadi, regular tzaddik has the two bits at the top, and they're like, like, they're like that. If you're listening to the audio, I'm making the shapes of my fingers. Okay? A tzaddi sofit has the two at the top, and then it goes down. Pay, same thing. Pay or pay. And chaf. Right, like this, or, or half like that. The letters, the Sofit letters, are created in that way. Now, I don't know the answer, but I want to share with you a question I don't know the answer to before we move on. In all of the letters, of the letters Sofit, so Mem Sofit, Nun Sofit, Sadi Sofit, Pe Sofit, Chaf Sofit, the difference between the letter in its normal form and in its Sofit form, when it comes to the end of a word, is that the letter then stretches down beneath the line. The only one of the man tzapach, which is not like that, is mem. Why is it that the mem sofit doesn't follow the same structure as the nun tzadi peichaf sofit? I don't know the answer to this question. I have a theory. I don't know the answer. If there's someone out there, Ari, maybe I'm talking to you, right? If there's someone out there who already knows the answer to this, please let me know, reach out, and share with me uh, what you've seen uh, brought down. Now, let me share what, what and why I think, because uh, whatever the reason is for the mem, the norm of the man tzapach is different. And the Gemara tells us, where do we find this idea that these letters are written differently at the end of a word? Where does it come from? And the Gemara has a whole question. Did, did it come from the Torah? Tzofim Ameru means that it was sent to us by the prophets. The Gemara says, well, the prophets are not allowed to introduce anything to Judaism that's not already in Judaism. 
The Gemara answers, no, it was there from the beginning. It was forgotten. Then they reinstituted it. Something that was already there. All conversation. But Sofim Amerum means the prophets Amerum said them. So on a literal level, it means that when you write the letter in the Torah, at the end of the word, it takes a different form. That's the literal interpretation of Mansapach Sofim Amerum. However, the Vilna Gaon points out something unbelievable. He says that the letters Mansapach represent the five times in the Torah that Moshe Rabenu did not know the halakha and had to ask God for help. Mansapach stands for Mem, which is the Mikoshesh Etzim. The Mikoshesh Etzim was the person who chopped the trees down on Shabbat. Chilu Shabbat, they had to know what was the punishment for someone breaking Shabbat publicly. Kilo porash, mayaselo. Moshe didn't know. It had not been explained to him what to do in this situation. So he went and he asked Takadosh Baruchu and he got the law. Nokev, mem nun. Nun is nokev. Nokev means there was a man who cursed God publicly. He was very upset over the fact that he did not have a portion of the land of Israel because of uh, how he was born, etc., etc. And therefore, the nokev came, cursed. Vayanichu b'mishmar, says the Pasuk. And they put him in, lock, in the lockdown. To understand what the punishment was, according to the word of God. Mem nun tzadi. Where else did Moshe not know what to do? Tzlofchad, the daughters of Tzlofchad. They were born, five daughters to Tzlofchad. There were no sons in the family. They were dividing Eretz Israel based on the families in the name that carried the last name. Here was a family, Tzlovchad, that there wasn't even a single boy. So the daughters came and said, what, our father's not going to have a portion of the land of Israel at all? And Moshe Rabbeinu asked HaKadosh Baruch what the halakha was. And the halakha is in the absence of boys. It goes to the daughters, but that they should marry within the tribe so it doesn't leave from their tribe to another. Men nun tzadi. Pei is Pesach Sheni, this case. What happens if someone wants to bring Korban Pesach, but they're Tameh, they get another chance to do so. And finally, Kozbi, the Pasuk says, in the story of Zimri and Kozbi, when he took her and he violated her publicly in front of uh, the Beit in front of the Mishkan, um, and uh, there's a story of Pinchas. They did not know what to do until Pinchas took matters into his own hands. Mansapach, Tzofim Amerum. Tzofim means the prophets needed to tell us those letters. I think there's something very powerful about this. These five occurrences are symbolized by these letters. And these letters, of all the letters in the Torah, it was not enough to have them in their regular form. They needed to appear also in a sofit form, in a final analysis, bottom line form. Because they represented the fact that the letters, that the things that were begun by these letters, it was unclear what to do with them. They needed a final resolution. And that was, so to speak, manifested in the fact that these letters have their in initial iteration, but also their final iteration, the Mem Sovit, the Nun Sovit. My friends, I want to share with you the idea here that I think is sticking out is Bolet. This whole Perasha talks a lot about second chances. The second chance of the people from Korban Pesach Shani. The second chance of Aharon. Aharon's upset that he didn't get something. Hashem said, I'm give you something else. Later on in the Pirashah, we read something also that c constitutes this idea of a second chance. Having a first letter, it's not something, but in the end of the word, 
there's another version of that letter that's not the same as the original letter, but still, it is that letter. And my friends, what is that? The Pasuk tells us by uh, the, uh, Dan, when the Jewish people were traveling, that Dan would travel in the back, Shevet Dan would travel in the back, and they were me'asef lechol ha'machanot. They would gather to all of the camps. What does that mean? On the spot, Rashi says that they would travel in the back. And if someone would lose something, if let's say someone dropped their uh, a gadget or gizmo or plenty, they, they lost their hairbrush, they dropped their PS5, or PS3, what's the carry one? PS2, I don't remember. The switch, sorry. They dropped the switch, and then, you know, someone, someone able, that Meshevetan is coming as the, the biggest of the tribes, they see a lost object, they're able to come and return that lost object. My friends, this idea is not only about the, gaz- the gadget that you dropped in the tribe in the, in the desert, but rather, me'asef l'chola machanot means it's something much more symbolic. Venasa degel machane dan, the tribe of dan. What does dan represent? What is the word dan? Dan means... To judge, like we find in the Pasuk, when the Jewish people were captured by Egypt, God said, and after they'll be tortured by this foreign nation, Dan Anochi, I will judge that nation, and I will take the Jewish people out with great miracles and with great wealth. Dan means to judge. Says the Pasuk, at the end of the day, in the journey of a Jew, comes Machane Dan, comes the judgment. Uh, on the actions and the choices that a person makes. But me'asef l'chola machanot. And Rashi tells us, what does it mean that this judgment happens at the end of your journey as you go through life? No This judgment, where does it travel? Not in the front, in the back. Like the Pasuk tells us in the Yud Gimel Midot, in the 13 attributes of God, that when God judges a person, when does He judge you? What do we say? God waits and waits and waits for a person uh, to do teshuvah. So a person might do a sin and there's no response because God is giving them a chance to fix it. Judgment done travels in the end. And if you lost something, there's a chance to return that thing. You missed Korban Pesach. I'm not going to judge you on it. There's going to be another chance. You missed the ability to give the korban esim. I'll give you another chance in lighting the menorah, my friends. But I want to talk about this idea, this second chance. In, in, uh, in the prayer that we say every Friday night, we say, Sof which means the deed that was done in the end was thought of in the beginning. In the words of Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. The Gemara tells us that before God created the world, he created Teshuvah. Because he knew that the world would not be able to survive on first chances alone. We're human. We make mistakes. We're people. We have desires. We have agendas. We can't see sometimes through you know, our own interests. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that humankind would need Teshuvah. So before he creates the world, he creates Teshuvah. A fundamental pillar upon which the world exists. So therefore, man tzapach, tzofim amerum. Those who see, understand that there needs to be 
certain letters that have a second iteration, a final iteration, a second chance, a me'asif l'chol ha'machanot, a Pesach sheni, a lighting of the candles. This theme runs through the whole parasha. And the reason for that is that this parasha is called v'ha'alotecha, when I raise you up. You know what raises a person up? A person who feels in the dumps because they feel like they made this mistake or that mistake, or they, list, they lost this chance or that chance. They messed up this relationship or that one. V'ha'alotecha, what lifts you up is the understanding that you can make it right and that not everyone gets it right the first time around. Cut yourself some slack. God built that into the system. That that judgment will come. We reserve our judgment until the final showdown. But until that point, a person always has the chance to be able to fix. The famous story of Rabbi Israel Salanta goes, he was walking through the streets of his city and he saw there was a light in the window. It was very late. He passed by the house and he sees that there's a shoemaker there and the shoemaker's working. And he asks him, what are you doing? And the shoemaker says, Kol od dolek. So long as the candle is burning, if Shailet Taken, I can still fix the shoes that come to my house. And Rav Salanter, the giant of Musar, said, is that not the story of humankind? Kol od dolek. So long as the fire burns, if Shailet Taken, it's still possible to fix, it's still possible to change, it's still possible to improve. My friends, that is the story of Baha Alotechab. I want to share with you an incredible iteration of this Mansapach, uh, Tzofim uh, Amarum, those who see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Nevi'im understood this concept. And I want to draw home, uh, drive home this principle. There was a great uh, uh, a rabbi who was called the Mar'eya Heskel. He wrote a book, a very powerful, a very beautiful sefer, Mar'eya Heskel. But what made this sage so special, so strong, to have such an impact? And I want to share with you an amazing story that's shared by Rabbi Happiness. He says as follows. This man, when he was a young, when he was very young, he went with his father. Uh, he went with his father to, to the fair, I believe it was. Or to, uh, or to the shuk. Anyway, as he's walking to the shuk, he sees that there's a, a stand and they're selling melons. And he comes to the stand and he thinks to himself, you know, maybe he'll eat something that's kosher. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, the kashrut. He decides he's going to check it out and buy it. Anyway, he's checking the melons to see, I don't know, everybody has their own tricks, you know, the things that you found, you saw online that, you know, are ridiculous. Someone just did it to make fun of you, he's holding up a thing, you're tapping it, you don't know. Well, you know, I'm not, anyone, anyone ever done this? Yeah. I never buy a melon I don't hit. I don't know what's supposed to, I don't know what it's supposed to sound like when I hit it, but I feel like if I didn't hit it, I need to get a refund, like, you know. <laughs> that is the most bruised fruit, is melons. Because every maven is coming along, smacking the, you know. Anyway, so he goes, he looks, he, can't, he doesn't find, he doesn't find a, a melon that he thinks is a, a good one. So he, he turns around to walk away. All of a sudden he hears behind him a woman's voice, and the woman says a brilliant line, genius line. Um, but obviously you need the context in order to know why it's brilliant. She says, so clever, she says, Tzadik Zeh, this Tzadik, you're walking away. Balebet Meloni, coming to my... Uh, my, my hotel, right? And he will leave without a melon. This Sadiq is going to come to my house of melons and he'll leave without a melon, right? Now, you, the genius of that is that you realize what she was, what the expression she was playing with. The famous Ma'amar Hazal that the rabbis say is Sadiq Zeh Meloni. God says, This Sadiq came to my hotel. 
he should leave without getting sleeping. It was said by God about Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov Avinu slept by the mountain, when he had the, the, the dream about the ladder. This tzaddik came to my hotel and he'll leave without sleeping. So she did a play on words. Tzaddik ze ba lebet maloni, to my melon house. This young tzaddik, this young budding Talmich Hakam, thought the line was so clever. He turns around to see and he sees it's this beautiful young woman. Now he was a person of impeccable character. He was a person who never followed his eyes. And he felt terrible that he turned around to hear this, to look at this. He was a big sadiq. We're not maybe on that level. Even as a young man, very big sadiq. He turned around to look and he felt terrible. He went home. Uh, he went home. He told, said to his father, he says, you know, I've, I've never turned to look at a woman in my life. What happened over here? It wasn't that someone came inappropriately dressed. It wasn't that someone, you know, caught his eye. She said a very clever line from about the Torah. And he enjoyed the line. He turned around to see who said it. He saw this beautiful woman. But he felt terrible. His father said to him, what are you feeling so bad about? He said, the Torah, when it says it's Asur, it's not that you saw something. You can't help what you saw the first second that you saw it. What's wrong is what you do after. If you're staring. You know, if you're looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at. Here you turned around. Don't worry about it. You'd, all you did was Ri'iyah. You saw. You didn't istakel. You didn't stare. You didn't, you didn't get the second look, Yani. Okay? But it bothered this young man, this young Sadiq. So he said to his father, I have an idea. The Gemara says, Asur le'adam le'kadesh, a person is not allowed to marry someone ad shir enna, until they see them. Now to us that sounds great, of course you're going to see them. But back in the time you find, someone would go find you a wife, you know, in some other country, they would send somebody to go look, you know, and bring, so many times they, were, they would get married before they even saw their wife, even kings, noblemen. Right? Because marriage also was looked at differently back then. You were marrying uh, to be able to create a, you know, a connection with some other kingdom. You know, the king of Austria is marrying the king of France to be able to unite the kingdoms. Or you have a, a big rabbi who's from one house is marrying the daughter of another rabbi from another house. So there were times that happened. But the Gemara says that you have to at least see her. Because you know what? Terrible thing to be married to someone that there's no attraction, at least you'll know if you find favor in her eyes and if she finds favor in yours. So he said to his father, maybe we should check out and see if it's a, a, a good shiduch. Because then, even the ri'iyah, even that seeing, is a mitzvah from the Torah. Because it says, Asur adam le kadesh at The father looks at his son, he can't believe what a sadiq this young man is. He does some checking, he finds out that the woman who's selling this in the, sto- in the streets is a tzadeket, Unbelievable midot, fantastic, everything about us, brilliant. Except she comes from a very poor, very simple family. And this boy, he could have married a big sadiq. His father's a big sadiq. He had a pedigree, he could have married anyone. Anyone would have, you know, would have loved to marry such a sadiq into this family. So he was marrying Ya'ani beneath his station. But he, but he wanted to do it for the sake of keeping his record pure. That even that one look that he looked should be made, should be made and turned into something which was a mitzvah. The father says, look, I see what you're doing, but you're giving up something. You're giving up maybe someone that comes from great tzaddikim. You know, who knows what that will mean for your family, for the children, the genetics of, you know, great tzaddikim, generation after generation. She comes from a simple family. You have to have nothing. They don't know anything. Even if she's great. The father sent his son to go speak to the Yismach Moshe. He goes to this great rabbi, Yismach Moshe, Tells him the story. Tells him what happened. This is the situation. I made. I had this little terrible, little little mistake, terrible, little tiny mistake that I made. But I want even that to be made whole. I wanted to. I want to fix it. 
So if, I, if, if she's right for me and I marry her, then even that one look was, was al-pi halakha. The rabbi was so impressed. He said to him, I gave him the, the, the nod, the go-ahead. And he said to him, I bless you because of this action. Sha'ad sof kol hadorot. Then until the end of all generations. Yehelahem zera. You should have children. Baruch Hashem. That are blessed by God. Because of the, the great, so to speak, purity, the innocence, the sacrifice, uh, the, uh, the simplicity of this, of this action of this young man. Now, I don't know about you. I don't relate to the story at all. Well, he turned around, he heard someone, whatever, who cares? Not, I mean, again, you know, but who cares? Come on. But part of that is because we're not on that level. But to me, that's not even the conversation here. It's not about the level. Because for every person, the level that you deal with in this world is relative only to you. Hashem is only going to judge you on the level that you're at. He's going to ask of you to take one step beyond your comfort zone, not mine, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your, not your children, out of your comfort zone. That's what God judges a person on. In the words of Rav Dessler, it's called the Nikudat Habichira, the place, the point of free will. The point of free will is the point where you are, and then we make a circle around that point. As much as your hand could reach to the right, to, you know, to do good, that's as far right out of your reach. And as well, the sins that are within your reach. You know, I don't get sakhar, I don't get rewarded by God because I drove home today and I didn't punch an old lady in the face. Hashem's not expecting me to punch an old lady in the face. But He might expect me, even if I'm going to help someone, to maybe be a little bit nicer about it. Maybe that's what's within my realm. And you know what? I shouldn't have been so callous or dismissive or maybe that's what I'm supposed to be dealing with. So at that point, that nikudata bechira, that's where you live. But my friends, even when you miss the mark, and I promise you, you will. If I was to tell you or try to inspire you to perfection, I would be doing you a disservice. Because you, like so many people in our world today, expect perfection of themselves. In the way they look, in their job, in their life. We have to fake perfection online in order to salvage our bruised egos because our life has to be perfect. We have to be perfect. But the truth is, there's no greater lie in the world than a human being that is trying to project perfection. Only God is perfect. All of us, flawed. All of us need teshuvah. All of us live with second chances. Mansapach tzofim amerum. Pesach sheni. The lighting of the menorah after you missed the chance of the korban esiim. Don't focus on what you didn't do right. Focus on what you can do to make that right. When a person lives life that way, you know what, I, I looked, I made the mistake. But he comes up with a way of elevating that mistake and fixing it. Someone asked me only recently, Rabbi, you're doing, I launched this group called Say No to Lashon Ara, where every day we're learning the laws of the Hafez Chaim in the merit of Refuah Shlema from my wife, Achana Bat Semafega. Okay? And I, I'm putting the halachot out there. And a woman called messages and she says, Rabbi, I spoke Lashon Ara about someone. Is this something I could say now? I'm guessing she wants to know if she could say Tehilim or if she could say a prayer. And I, I said, yeah, but <laughs> not what you think. You know, praying is not going to happen. You can't pray that sin away. Two things you need to do. You need to apologize to the person you spoke bad about. And then you need to find the person you spoke to and, and make restitution and tell them, I spoke this way about the person. Actually, it's not true. It wasn't, that wasn't the, the correct story 
or you know, they're actually a much better person than the way I presented them. I was just so angry and I felt so guilty about the fact that I left you with that impression. I came back to disabuse you of that notion. My friends, you understand. You spoke Lashon Hara. We all do. But how many people reach out and say, Rabbi, I did this. How do I fix it? If the candle is burning, if Taken. My friends, that is the nature of the world that we live in. If the candle is burning, if Taken. There's a beautiful line that goes, in the end, it's all good. And if it's not good, it's not the end. There was a, a great rabbi whose name was Rabbi Nahum who collected the Divrei Torah from Rav Zilbishtin. And he shared a story, and I'll end with this. There was a great rabbi who worked with people who weren't religious to help inspire them to Judaism. And one day, a farmer, one of his students comes to him who's getting stronger in his, in his religion. And he says, Rabbi, I have to tell you the craziest story. The other day, I went to a, a, a wedding. He says, and I did not want to go to the wedding. I did not. I wasn't in the mood, I wasn't happy. Why weren't you happy? He says, was, unfortunately, because we had, we've not been having rain, uh, we've had such a drought recently, everything dried up. I worked the whole year, and now it's time for the crops, and the crops is a disaster. I can't pay my bills, I can't pay my workers, I feel like I might have to go bankrupt, I'm brokenhearted. I made a cheshbon, and it turned out that not only did I not make a profit, but I was 55,000 shekel in debt. Now, that might not sound a lot to some people, but for a, a farmer back then, it was a huge amount of money. He says that I didn't know what to do, and I felt terrible, but it was a friend of mine's wedding, so I felt like, you know what, get over your own personal you know, sadness, go and be misameach hatam Okay, I went down, I'm driving to the wedding, I had to park a little bit far from the wedding. As I pull over and park on the side of the road with all the other cars, I see sitting next to the car, next to me parked on the floor, is a briefcase. I go up to this briefcase in Israel, you know, you don't, you know, you, everything is chifetz chashud, like, you know. So you go, you pick, he, he goes in, he very carefully opens the zipper, he sees that the bag is filled top to bottom with cash. Very heavy bag. He can't believe what's in this bag. He counts the money very quickly, it's in stacks. How much money is in this bag? 55,000 shekel. He can't believe it. Like, thank you, God. I didn't know you work with briefcases and unmarked bills. I thought you were different, but you know, okay, fine. He takes the bag, throws it in his car, locks the car, goes into the wedding, dances, smiles, this, that, comes back out after the wedding. Of course, as he goes to his car, he sees the police are there and there's a fellow crying. And he says, what's the matter? And the fellow tells him, you know, um, I, I left the bag out here. Uh, I was actually given this bag by my friend who runs uh, uh, gas stations and back in the day they were paying only in cash so at the end of the of the of the week so they would take all the cash and go to the bank he asked me to make a bank run okay I put all this money in the bag I had to stop here for, for a wedding I put the bag down and no one can find it the guy's heart sinks he says tell me he says how much money was in the bag the guy says 55,000 shekel exactly halakha is one of the simanim you could give is minyan. It's how much? He gives the siman, the sign, now the mitzvah, to give the, the money back. He says, don't worry. Come with me. Unlocks the car. Gives him the bag. The man's crying. He's thanking him. He's hugging him. You don't know. You saved me. You saved my friendship. I can't believe it. All right. He leaves. This man now tells the rabbi, I, I, I came back from this wedding. And he says, and I'm all in a turmoil. Because, you know, I feel like 
this is exactly what I needed, and God sent it exactly to me, and I gave it back to this guy. You know, I took God's gift, and I threw it away. Is that what I should be doing? Is that, was that the right thing? Listen carefully. Rabbi says, honey, you know, you're wondering if it's the right thing. Let's open up God's book, and we'll see what God wants you to do with that, that you think is a gift. He shows him the pasuk, opens the Gemara, shows him Elu Mesiyot Shelo, Elu Hayav Le'achriz. This is a situation. This is not an Aveda. It was placed there. There is a Siman. This is what you're supposed to do. The man says, okay, I accept. If that's what God wants, I accept. A little while later, maybe a year goes by, the rabbi again sees this farmer. This time he's got a big kippah on his head. He's in big, good spirits. The man comes up to the rabbi and he continues the conversation of a year before almost as if they never stopped. He says, he says, so you don't know what happened. The rabbi remembers the beginning of the story. It's not a story that happens all the time. He says, you don't know what happened. He says, after I gave that money back, he says, I had nothing. And the bank and the creditors came and they told me that I'm going to have to sell my property in order to be able to pay back the loans. I had a farm. The farm was evaluated and the, the farm was evaluated at the price of 300,000 shekel, which is not a bad price. It would allow me to pay off my debts, you know, and, uh, you know, I had a little few months left until they were due. Uh, allow me to pay off my debts, and, and I'll have some money to be able to buy another property, start another business, whatever. Anyway, I looked, for, looked and looked and looked for, a, uh, for a, uh, a buyer, and, you know, we got a couple bites, nothing serious. He says, but then, Rabbi, he goes, you'll never believe. The city... Uh, out of nowhere, changed the, the zoning of my property from farmland to city. All of a sudden that means you could build houses, you could build apartment buildings, and immediately overnight, the price of my property went from 300 much higher. It's a long time ago. <laughs> he says that overnight, I had buyers knocking down my door, and I sold the property that should have been 300,000 at the current price where the city had offered zoning as a city zoning, municipal zoning, I sold it for 355,000 shekel. I went and paid off my debts the very next day. And now I'm shopping around to see what I could buy with my 300,000. My old business unfortunately died, but maybe I could do something else. A week or two goes by and the city issues a proclamation saying, Actually, we made a mistake. They bowed to pressure from the farming industry and they reclassified the farm back as a farm. <laughs> the guy goes back to the guy who bought it, the developer, and he says, I, I, I would like to buy the property back, but now it's not zoned for the city. It's zoned as a farm. The guy says, you know what? I'll give it to you for 300000 He gives him the 300000 back, moves back at this, and he says, look, I asked you what God wants. How could it be that God sent me this money for me to give it away? And the answer is, that is what God sent them the money for, to give it away. But it was only in order to be able to finish the story, to have the Sofit letters, the letters come back clear in the end. My friends, our story is not over until God says it's over. So long as the fire is burning, if Hashem should bless us to always do the right thing. But you know what? No one always does the right thing. No one. You can't be perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. So Hashem should bless us to always, always do the right thing. But when we don't do the right thing, Hashem should bless us to always fix the wrong thing back into the right thing. Baruch Amen